Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand sustainably. I'm your host, Giles Smith, and today I'm joined by Mike Smith, founder of ZeroCo. ZeroCo's mission is nothing less than removing single-use plastics from our kitchen, bathroom, and laundry cabinets. And in the show, we unpack the Zero Co journey, starting from Mike finding plastic at the bottom of an alpine lake, all the way to growing a nine-figure brand just two years after they launched. Along the way, we learned some key insights into acquiring funding, as Mike shares how they broke multiple Australian records, including the biggest Kickstarter campaign of 2019 and the fastest ever crowd equity round. We also hear Mike's views on the importance of community and how their values around radical transparency have been critical to helping them build a passionate and engaged audience united in the fight against single-use plastic. So without further ado, let's start the show. Mike Smith, welcome to the show. Hey Giles, um, thanks for having me. Nice to be here with you. I am super, super stoked to have you here. Uh, I feel a bit like I want to say I'm fangirling, but that doesn't sound at all right. <laughs> uh, something's deeply wrong about that, but that's how I feel about this. I came across your brand probably, or oh, initially probably about a year ago, and then kind of um, re-energized my knowledge of it in preparation for this podcast. And the more I delved into what you guys are doing and the way that you're rolling it all out from an e-commerce and marketing perspective, the more excited I get about what I see. And I just knew you were someone that I had to have on this show because you've got so many rich lessons. But for all those people that don't know what Zero Co is, maybe you could start today by explaining about who Mike Smith is, how you came to starting Zero Co and what the purpose of the whole thing is. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for your very kind words. Um, <laughs> always a nice way to start things. Um, a little snapshot of what Zeroco is first before I go into the backstory so everyone understands all the stuff I'm about to talk about. Perfect, yeah. Um, so we make personal care and home cleaning products, stuff like shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, laundry liquid, um, hand wash, body wash, right? Um, but what we do is we deliver it to customers in a completely closed loop business model which is designed to do two things. So our, our mission is to try and untrash the planet. And that involves um, doing ocean cleanups, getting plastic out of the ocean, turning that plastic into what we call a forever bottle that you keep at your house and refill forever. And then the second part of the mission is stopping single-use plastic being made in the first place. Um, we do that by sending customers a refill pouch that they send back to us for, so we can clean it and refill it and send it back out to another customer. So the forever bottle funds ocean cleanups. Um, since we launched about... 15 months ago, we pulled over 800,000 water bottles worth of rubbish out of the ocean. And then the reusable refill pouch gets shipped back and forth between us and the customer and stops single-use plastic being made in the first place. So that's what the business does. Um, and then in terms of a bit of backstory, um, I have been in the startup space for about 15 years now. Um, I've been in the trenches building companies um, throughout that time. I've had This is my third business now. Um, and I, I think I've had all of the possible startup experiences that you could imagine, ranging from outright failure, spunking my life savings, through to growing, you know, a pretty successful ten-figure business that is Zeroco, um, and and everything in between, right? All of the all of the exciting highs, all of the very mellowing lows, and all of the creamy, juicy middle stuff in between that. Um, 
But the, the kind of foundation story for Zeroco began in 2018. I sold my previous business, which was a wine brand called Cake Wines. Um, I convinced my now wife to pack up our lives and go on what we hoped was going to be the trip of a lifetime. Um, back in the, in the distant days before COVID, when people could travel around the world. Um, and so we just said to ourselves, let's go and try and have the most unbelievable experience going to the most remote and far-flung corners of the planet. We essentially trekked and, and camped our way around the world for about 18 months. Um, we went to some super wild places. We trekked along the border of Afghanistan and Tajikistan for about a month. Um, I went to North Korea. We went to Kamchatka in the far northeast of Russia, stayed in Kurdish villages along the Iraq-Iran border. You know, we, we just tried to get as far away from the tourist trail as possible. And one of the things that I, I kind of had a hunch when I went on this trip that there was a high probability I was probably going to come up with an idea for my next business. I didn't go there seeking that, but I thought I bet you I come across something on this adventure that will um, inspire me, will ignite me and get me pumped to start another business. And about halfway through this trip, I just started to um, really, I was drawn to the amount of rubbish that I was finding in some of these remote parts of the world. And I think when you go to really big population centers like China or Indonesia or, or India, where you know they are developing countries without um, waste infrastructure, you really expect to see lots and lots of rubbish and you do, right? Um, but when you go to these really, really remote parts of the world and you find plastic bottles at the bottom of alpine lakes at 5,000 metres above sea level, um, it, it really affected me. And I thought most people don't fully comprehend the scale of this plastic problem um, because people don't come into these pockets of wilderness and see that it's made its way literally to every corner of the planet. Um, and so I kind of started thinking about how I could potentially have an impact on the plastic problem. And, and it was quite fortuitous that I was, you know, spending eight hours a day walking through wilderness with nothing to do, but kind of walk and think. So I came back to Australia with this really um, strong insight about what we have to do to solve the plastic problem globally. And, and it's directly led into our mission, which is to solve the problem. We've got to work out how do you get plastic out of the ocean at scale and how do you stop single use plastic being made in the first place? So that's, that's the insight that I came home with. I was completely agnostic about what the business was actually going to do. I, I started going to the supermarket when I came home and spending a lot of time in the supermarket because that's a place where lots of single-use plastic is, is kind of consumed. Um, and I, I kind of was creepily following people around the supermarket, poking you know, between the shelves and looking at people what, what people were putting in their shopping baskets. And I, I found myself spending more and more time in the last three aisles of the supermarket, which is where you know, all of the personal care and home cleaning products arranged and you know still to this day when you go into those aisles it is floor to ceiling um end to end single-use plastic right it's it's a huge category for single-use plastic um production and consumption most of it's still virgin plastic at that yeah it is it is and um you know about a billion single-use plastic bottles are made purchased and thrown away in australia every year just in personal care and home cleaning which is astronomical right um and so then i said all right oh, this is the this is the industry i'm going to go into this is the category i'm going to use as the lever to try and have an impact on the single-use plastic problem completely naively had never built a um a personal care or home cleaning brand before had no expertise in the plastics industry i'm not an industrial designer i'm not an engineer i i was the biggest novice when it comes to solving this plastic problem both 
from the plastic economy piece, but also from the industry that I was about to go into. But I think that allowed me to come in and look at this whole space with fresh eyes and, and build a solution from the ground up that was designed to solve this problem in its totality from day one. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how this thing got started. Wow. What, what an incredible story. And, and first of all, congratulations on getting married. Thank you. And I love the story about how you mentioned there that you were, it wasn't so much the, the third world countries that you were visiting and, ex, and seeing what you expected to see, which was heaps of trash everywhere. Mm. Uh, I think anyone that's traveled to Thailand or Vietnam or India or, or any of those places, it's, it's not unusual to, to expect to see that. But, but I think what stands out is when you were starting to find it in, in the, the most remote places, the unexpected places, because it's, it's one thing to, to read the reports of microplastics and the ocean gyres and all that sort of stuff. And it kind of feels academic until you really see it and experience it. So I love, I love that journey. But what you've done now is create a mission for yourself and for the, comp- for the company that is enormous, right? I mean, you've, you've really got some hairy-ass goals uh, <laughs> yeah. here to try and hit. So tell me about how you're, you started to tell the story to people and get people on board with that, with that mission. I mean, how did you even approach that to start with? Yeah, so my, my hypothesis about how this plastic problem is going to be solved globally um, has really led to everything we've done from a you know tonality and, and communications perspective around around the business. Um, I believe that it's not going to be um, governments who, who solve this problem. You know, governments are, are really inefficient, and there's so much debating and arguing and, and squabbling that goes on. Um, we've known about this problem for 50 or 60 years now, and, and no one's done anything about it. I don't think it's going to be big business who solves this problem because they are so invested in the petrochemical industry in plastic production. They've got these huge billion dollar supply chains that are built to make and pump out single use plastic. And I don't think it's going to be charities who solve this problem because they don't have the global scale or kind of the innovation credentials to, to solve it. So my, my hypothesis from day one has been, I believe it's going to be a movement of people, everyday people from all around the world who make small lifestyle changes which add up to big, huge impacts on a global scale. So that's how I think we're going to solve this problem globally. And so we have from day one said, we are going to build a people-powered solution to this plastic problem. And therefore, everything from day one is about building community and inspiring people to come on this journey with us and inviting people to, to join us, you know, um, and to kind of acknowledge that nobody is perfect. Nobody has a perfect solution to this problem. Zero co is not a perfect solution. Um, but if we all work together, we will get through the, the stages of innovation that we need to go through to find a really, really great solution. So from day one, it has just been about putting the community, putting everyday people right at the heart of everything we do, never talking down to people, never pretending that we know more than anyone else or we're any better. You know, I lead by example there. I use single-use plastic. You know, I go to the shops. I like buying a packet of chips every now and again. It's single-use plastic, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's not about bashing people over the head with the problem. We all know about this problem. I think one of the great things about this environmental problem versus some other ones is that there's not really any public debate about the need to reduce single-use plastic. You know, there's no rallies out on the street, people saying, let's put more single-use plastic in the ocean. We all kind of agree that we need to stop doing it. So we don't spend a lot of time talking about the problem. We spend all of our time and effort talking about the solution and letting everyday people know the impact that they can have and trying to inspire them to make small changes. So that really sits at the heart of everything we do from a communications perspective with our business. It's, it's absolute 
absolutely brilliant and it, and it's so inspiring hearing you talk about that so passionately and so authentically as well because one of the things that strikes me when i look at your site overall is the very first message that you see when you go to your homepage on on zero co is and i'll read it out for the audience is give single use plastic the flick ditch single use plastic from your kitchen laundry and bathroom today now from a from a positioning point of view it's really bloody clear what we're talking about here right i mean it's that, that's simple language that everyone could get behind and immediately it's partnered with an image essentially of a stylized person with all of your different products in the shape of ganesh or you know yep. you know we're really heroing we're really heroing the customer here and that theme runs all the way through the customer journey even to the point of the products i just want to read something else here because i've got one of your air fresheners here um, so it says, uh, it says Zerico, the sweet, sweet smell of saving the planet. I mean, how fun is that? <laughs> I love it. And it, it, cause it makes you feel good. And on the back, it's just, it, there's, I won't go read that, but there's, there's tons and stuff on the back about essentially customer well done. Thanks for joining us. You're doing a great job in removing single use plastic. So what you're really doing is, is really engaging the customer in the whole process here in your fundamental purpose for existing and so what a powerful brand building brand engaging message that is it's fantastic did, did that just come off the literally just trip off the tongue for you guys or did you spend a significant amount of time actually trying to kind of curating all those messages so that the whole journey makes sense yeah look it's been an evolving process as any business is right you you come up with a, a, you know an insider or, or a or a core idea um, and you start to iterate on it, you put it into the world, you see what works and, and you improve on that. Um, but we spend a lot of time thinking about our community every day. We try and make our community, um, you know, the center point, the focal point of everything that we do. And, and that has had a whole bunch of kind of longer term implications where, you know, at the back end of last year, we went and actually invited our customers to become shareholders of our business, which if you think about um, the way we think about our customer journey is we want to go and find as many strangers out there in the world as possible invite them to become part of our journey and then take them through this very tailored process. And the end of that customer journey is to try and make as many of our customers owners of our business as possible. Because if we can align the financial interests of us and our community and the environmental interests of us and our community, then everyone who's touching zero co we're all aligned. We're all on the same journey to, to solve the plastic problem and to build a successful business. And so yeah, this this community-minded um, kind of concept, customer first, is is absolutely core to our business. One one of the other things that that we do is we try and have a bit of fun with everything we do, right? Because um, solving big environmental problems or any big problems in the world can feel really daunting at times. And, and I think if we think back to you know a couple of decades ago, the old kind of impact model of World Vision with starving kids in Africa plastered on your TV screen. Um, the old approach of trying to solve these problems was to guilt people into action. Whereas our approach is let's not talk about the problem. Let's talk about the solution, but also if we can make you smile or maybe even laugh while you're doing something good for the planet, then for me, that's the Holy grail, right? Um, so we take the piss, we take the piss out of ourselves. Um, we try and have fun and we try and just not make this too serious and stuffy because it is a big problem, but mm. 
if we make it a bit fun, we're going to have a lot more chance of solving it together if it's enjoyable along the journey. Yeah, well, look, I mean, some feedback as a customer myself, I think you're smashing it because the, the, like everything to do with all of the product, the individual items, and they all have their own little story and their own little communication piece sort of heroed on them as well, which I, I think is brilliant. So, you know, terrific job with that. Obviously, this is a big, big piece, as you said, and, and it's not all going to go well, right? Let's be honest, because it's hard building any business. It's, and, but then layering on top of that, probably one of the most knotty problems there is to solve in the world, which is getting plastics, getting the single-use plastics out of the ecosystem. Transparency is obviously going to be a big thing for you. And, and I know that you guys have uh, the phrase radical transparency as part of your ethos. Tell us a little bit about that. How important is that, do you think, to engaging to that whole customer engagement piece? And how important is that to holding you guys accountable for what you're doing? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's an incredibly important part. It's, it's one of our core brand values. Um, and, and it kind of comes from a few places, right? First of all, um, at a kind of category level or an industry level, there is a lot of companies out there that have over the past decade kind of been thinking about sustainability or, you know, doing the right thing for the planet as a marketing message, not, not as something that they, is actually the right thing to do as a business or the right thing to do for the planet. And I think there's been a lot of suspicion built around a lot of the bigger companies out there that have used, you know, questionable marketing messages around recycling for one, you know, recycling is not a thing. Um, only 15% of all the plastic that we use in Australia actually gets recycled. So 85% of everything we use ends up in landfill or, or worse in the environment. And so there's, you know, rightly so a lot of cynicism around sustainability, especially, you know, when bigger companies talk about their sustainability credentials whilst they're not really doing anything. And so I think, the silver bullet to that is, is to be radically transparent and not just make these off-the-cuff sweeping statements, um, but to really open up every part of your business and show the world exactly what you are doing. And I think if you don't have anything to hide, then don't hide anything at all. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons that this radical transparency thing has become so important to us. But the other thing is that I have never in my previous businesses been out in front of the business. I've never been a kind of public media figure. Um, I've always been happy to sit behind and, and let the business do the talking and do the working. Um, but I, I realized early on that with such a mission-based business, we were going to need a spokesperson, someone to rally people and hopefully inspire people to, to come on the journey. And I was super uncomfortable about that, right? I, I don't really use social media. I don't have a Twitter account. I, I don't really use Facebook or Instagram. Um, and so for me to put myself out there publicly was a really big journey for, just for me personally. And I, so I thought the only way I'm going to be able to survive in this, in this social media world that I am inherently uncomfortable with is if I'm just myself and I'm just absolutely radically transparent. And so that's what I've, um, I've just made that part of my daily life is just to put everything on the table. And I think the net effect of those two things is that people have come to believe in ZeroCo and they have come to believe in me because I wear my heart on my sleeve and there is nothing that I hide. And, you know, throughout the ZeroCo journey, there have been a heap of fuck-ups and I've put them all out into the world and I've owned them. And I said, hey, this thing just happened. Um, it was outside our control. Unlike other big companies, we're not going to try and hide this. We're just going to give you guys, you know, the warts and all honest truth on what's just happened. And mm. it's so refreshing for so many people. It's so surprising that more people don't do this, more companies don't do this. Um, because when you are honest and radically transparent, people rally around you and come to your aid. 
Um, so it's been an incredibly powerful and incredibly important part of what we are doing at Zero Code. We find ourselves in an interesting kind of place, I think, in, you know, in the journey of this with regards to greenwashing. Yep. You know, because there's plenty of there's plenty of big businesses doing it. There's plenty of small businesses that are doing a lot of good things, but then accidentally greenwashing as well. Because mm. They don't really understand what it is they're saying. Because let's be honest, sustain- sustainability is confusing and hard, right? I mean, you might say something's compostable. I mean, for, well, okay, that's what your factory said. But the reality is it requires some special sort of facility in order to be compostable. So it's not really compostable. Yes. Um, you know, so, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of confusion around that. And I think the cancerous part of that ultimately is that it leads to, leads to this thing called green hushing, which is, you know, becoming a phenomenon now where businesses that are doing a great, great job don't feel like they can be open in case they get sort of cancelled totally. <laughs> out there in, in the world, which is a horrible place to be. So, you know, it, I love the way you said, look, we're, we're a business, we're a growing business, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of inventing the wheel in some ways, and there's going to be mistakes along the way. So where do you get the confidence, do you think, then to, to or how can you inspire other people to have the confidence that you guys have to just keep being open about that and going, look, it's not a perfect world. Uh, you know, we have made this mistake and here it is. Well, you know, this is what we're doing. Like, how do you, how do you, what would you say to other people to get across that green hushing barrier? Yeah, totally. So for us, it's about always putting the mission at the front of everything that we do, right? We always lead with the mission. We, we are here. The reason I get out, out of bed every morning is not because I'm incredibly passionate about making toilet cleaner, right? <laughs> I, I get out of the bed every morning and I'm excited to come to work because I'm, I'm engaged in, in the, you know, the pursuit of my life, which is trying to solve this plastic problem, trying to pull as much plastic out of the ocean as possible and trying to stop as much plastic going to landfill every day. And so when you put the mission at the front of everything you do, we use that as our North Star. Every time there's a decision to make, we say, does this get us closer to achieving our mission? And if it doesn't, then it's not the right thing for the business to do. And so having so much belief in this mission and this cause allows us to just not get distracted, not get sidetracked and just, you know, talk openly to the public about this is where we're trying to get to. It's going to take us a decade to get there. Um, We may never get there, but if we just keep pushing in that direction um, and don't let anything derail us, then then that's how we're going to get to our, our goal, right? And so having that as the center point of, of the kind of philosophy allows us to go out and just tell people about all of the things that, that go wrong because it's all part of the journey of getting to this solution. Um, you know, the perfect example is we're based in the Northern Rivers. Our office is in Byron Bay. We've got a facility out in Lismore. A couple of weeks ago, there was huge flooding, one in 500-year flood. Um, one of the facilities where we were storing pouches that had been returned to customers that were waiting to get cleaned and refilled the the um the warehouse flooded there was no all of the um telephone lines were down so the factory couldn't call us and tell us that the factory had flooded um and a whole bunch of ours about 10 pallets of our used pouches just got um went everywhere right got flooded out of this factory and and the guys who run the factory just basically got um, front end loaders in and they collected everything that had come out of the factory our stuff a whole bunch of other company stuff loaded them into trucks and took them straight to the landfill without being able to tell us about that because they couldn't get us on the phone. And so we found out about that two days later. And, you know, a lot of companies would have just hushed that over, wouldn't have said anything about it. We went to the facility. We got on on social media. We made a video. We, we found some of the pouches that had been destroyed. And we let the community know that a whole bunch of our pouches, which were ready to go and get cleaned, have now gone to landfill, which is exactly the opposite of what our business model is about. But we just put it out into the world and said, this is what's just happened. It's completely out of our control. 
We apologize for it. We are gutted by it, but it's happened. We're just going to own up to it, let everyone know and get back to work solving this problem. And, you know, those types of bits of communication that we put out into the world sporadically as things come up in our business that go wrong, as happens in every business, nothing ever goes according to a plan. They are the most engaging forms of content that we produce. We get the most likes, we get the most shares, we get the most comments on that type of communication because people just love the fact that we're being honest and we're owning up to our mistakes and we're wearing our hearts on our sleeves. So, you know, for anyone listening, you know, all I can say is my lived experience over the last 18 months with this business. And it is the single most powerful type of communication that we have in our arsenal is, is radically transparent stuff. So very powerful message. And, and if, if that's not clear enough as to why transparency is important, you, you clearly heard Mike saying there that, that he like you essentially get most engagement out of those kind of transparency messages as opposed to a you know a marketing message or a, or a good news message or a, some of the other stuff that you've been doing which i think is really insightful in itself one of the other things that i think is sta- is a standout amongst at least australian sort of startups in this space is the ability that you've had to generate funding for your enterprise because obviously there's a lot to, that's gone into uh, getting to where you are today, even before you you sold your first pouch stroke forever bottle, uh, you obviously had to you know build machinery. You, you've had to you've had to create supply chain. You've you've done a whole bunch of stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about the the main avenues and 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 give us some tips? Do you think for the people that are, that are looking to do something similar in the sustainability space, whatever that might be, and actually get some funding to make it a reality? Yeah, totally. So I think um. I think our success in raising funds has been kind of a, a culmination of all of the things that we are doing, the totality of this thing that we've built. But in terms of the kind of fundraising journey for us, when, when we first launched this business, again, going back to this concept of we're trying to build a community, we are trying to build a people-powered solution. From day one, we said, okay, if that's, if that's what we're trying to do here, let's, let's live that ethos straight away. And so the first thing we did was we went and launched a Kickstarter campaign to allow people to come on the journey from day one I'd never run a Kickstarter campaign in my life. I was, I was very nervous about it, very trepidatious. I had no idea how to pull it off. But we, we ended up doing the biggest Kickstarter campaign of 2019 to launch our business. We raised about $750,000 worth of pre-orders, which did two things, right? It gave us some cash flow to get the business underway, to go and develop all the products, go and do ocean cleanups, make all the packaging, um, hire some people, bring this thing to life. But it also gave us our first community. So we had almost 7,000 Aussie households pre-ordered a box. So we had an immediate community from day one. Um, And the third thing was it sent a signal to the investor community um, that this thing had traction. And so prior to the Kickstarter, I I went out and I pitched this idea to every VC fund, every impact investment group, every incubator program in the country, and everybody said no, right? Um, Right. I must have got 100 no's before I got my first yes. But as soon as we did a Kickstarter program um, campaign, we proved that there was traction in market. That just completely changed our ability to raise funds. So we were then able to go and get some secondary funding from VCs, um, f- which allowed us to get into market and scale up the business. We got to about a million dollars or just over a million dollars a month in sales in under 12 months, which was driven by building this community of people. And then we were able to turn around 12 months after we'd launched and said, hey, let's take this concept of community to the next level and invite our um, our customers to become shareholders. And again, I'd never done an equity crowdfunding campaign before, but we went on to break the Australian equity crowdfunding record. We raised $5 million from our community in under six hours, which was 
just mind boggling. I think the previous record was a $3 million raise in about two weeks. We got ours over and done within under a day, which was mind boggling. We had about 3000 of our customers buy shares in our business, which was incredibly exciting. And again, was built off the back of all these things that we've done before, building community, getting traction in market um, and having a really awesome mission led business. So I think it's, it's been a combination of all of those things. And then the, the other really important thing for, for us in the fundraising process was building a, a team of experts from day one. I knew I wasn't going to be able to pull this off by myself. So I spent a lot of time and effort going and convincing a whole bunch of super senior people in similar industries to come and join our business. So um, the ex-global head of operations from Koala Mattresses is I, I convinced Sandy to come and join us as our as our COO, my right-hand lady. Um, Dr. Kate Forbes, who's the ex-global head of product and innovation at ESOP, inspired her to come and help us oversee the product team. So we went and got a bunch of really, really smart people with a bunch of experience to then be able to go out to the VC community and say, hey, it's not just me. It's not just this community of people, but there's also a really experienced leadership team who have built and scaled you know, $100 million businesses before, which gives uh, investors confidence in your ability to execute this. And so off the back of all of that, we were then able to go and raise $6 million from um, Square Peg Capital, which is Australia's largest VC fund, um, which has just given us the money to now go and, ex- and expand, you know, to, to launch a whole bunch of new products, hoping to go into international markets yes, um, next year. So it's been a combination of lots of different things, but all of the bits and pieces that we've built around this business have added up to giving, you know, investors, you know, sophisticated investors and VC funds confidence, but also has allowed everyday mum and dads, people from all around Australia to invest in a fast growth, early stage startup. That is like a two minute masterclass in how to scale, <laughs> and how to, and how to scale up your funding. I mean, so just recapping that, you started with crowdfunding, which I think most people in the startup space will be familiar with. Yep. Um, then, you, then you took that momentum and you went to VCs to get your first round of VC funding. Yep. Then you scaled that into an equity crowd fund, during which time I'm, I'm expecting you, you've got some really good people on board. And, and one of the things that VCs will always tell you is that they invest in people, you know, not ideas to, to some extent. So you, you've done that and then you've got your next round. Something that I'm not familiar with at all, and I, I think it's very unusual, is this crowd equity funding. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what platform did you use and how did that come about? Yeah, so the federal government changed the um, changed some legislation, I think it was about two years ago, um, essentially to enable privately held companies to raise funds from the public. You, you, you weren't previously able to do that. You'd have to list on the stock exchange, right? And so the government changed the legislation in response to similar changes that were happening um, in Europe and in the US to essentially enable privately held companies to raise funds from the public. And there are a number of platforms in Australia now that have got a financial services license to facilitate these, these kind of transactions. We went with virtual, um, which is probably the biggest equity crowdfunding platform in Australia. And basically it it operates exactly the same as a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo campaign, but instead of pre-selling product, you are selling shares in your company. Um, So very similar to what would happen on the, on the stock exchange, the ASX, except that zero co is still a privately owned company. And as a result, the shares are not tradable. So there's no market where people can buy and sell um, shares in zero co. There was just, there's an opportunity once a year for people to buy additional shares in our company. That is, that is really insightful. And obviously there's, there's a time and a place to do that. You know, you're not going to do that before you've even got a product out to market. I wouldn't have thought that's not going to be 
going to be the, the the prime time to do that sort of thing, is it? No, totally. And, and look, my biggest learning here was the reason we had such phenomenal success is because we had spent close to 18 months building a community, right? Yeah. Every yeah. single day building a community. We had about 40,000 customers by the time we, we did this um, equity raise. And they're the people who bought the shares in Zeroco. Of the three, I think it was just over 3,000 people who bought shares and 90% of those were existing customers. So if, you, if you're thinking about going down the, the route of equity crowdfunding, the first thing you've got to do is build a loyal community and because they are the people who are going to invest their their dollars in your business totally that's uh, that absolutely makes sense so i so i know that we're coming towards the end of our time together mike which is which is breaking my heart a little bit to be honest but <laughs> um but moving on from that um what's if we look forward to you know the big picture here of what, what you're trying to achieve and, and the future of zero co what you're and we're talking about that solving the big problem of removing single-use plastics from the ecosystem right which is mm. which is massive even 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 after the great successes you've had You've, you've obviously built a sort of strategic capability here of, you know, the closed loop of pouches and, and you know, your whole messaging kind of ignores what's in them, what's in the bottles in a way, like at no point have I bothered to even look about what's, what's in my, uh, yeah. in my air freshener here. I mean, I, I don't care really. Uh, beyond that, are you thinking about expanding this out to a strategic capability to include other brands so that, so that you can, you know, facilitate this for for all the the big brands out there who aren't thinking about this is that where you see this going yeah so there's there's kind of two or three big moves for us the the first of which is to broaden our product range at the moment we've got 14 products in the range um we want to have that at kind of 30 plus within the next 12 months so we are you know the, the vision here is that every single personal care or home cleaning product that you use in your kitchen laundry or bathroom you will be able to get from ZeroCo in a single-use plastic-free option that is funding ocean cleanups within the next 12 months. We want to have all of those possible products. So dental products, skincare products, paper products, um, cleaning products, things you put on your underarms, things you put on your face, things you put on your skin, all of those products available from ZeroCo. So that's, that's stage one, and we're kind of halfway through yeah. executing that plan. The second part is to then export this solution, which we've built here in Australia to the world. So we're looking at launching into Europe and North America um, early next year. And then the third part is, is kind of what you spoke about, which is we recognize that we are not going to solve this problem by ourselves. Even if we became the biggest FMCG company in the world, even if we became bigger than Unilever, we are still not going to solve this problem without the other big companies like Procter and Gamble and, and Unilever coming on board with this journey. And so part of what we are trying to do is either A, create so much friction and tension in the, in the market and, and be such a nuisance to those guys <laughs> that they've got to change their business model to basically copy what we are doing. Um, because if we as a tiny little startup can prove that you can do ocean cleanups, you can stop single-use plastic and you can do all of that profitably and you can scale that business model, then there's no reason why the big guys can't do it as well. Um, so that's part of it. The other part is maybe getting to a position where we license our technology to one of those companies. We open the floodgates and, and start cleaning pouches or bottles for other companies or potentially maybe become part of one of those companies at some point in the future and help change all of their processes from within. So 
it's a big opportunity ahead of us and, and we totally recognize we cannot solve this problem ourselves. Yeah, I, I love that. It sounds as if you've got a multi-pronged approach, which is very, very smart. And I just, I love the whole journey with this. I think that this whole discussion has been super inspiring and super educational. Uh, and I hope it's going to, you know, change the way or challenge the way, you know, some maybe some of the smaller brands out there that are doing really good stuff, think about what can be achieved when you really have a purpose in mind and you really have a driving mission behind everything. And so thank you so much, Mike, for sharing all of that, all of those insights with us today. I really appreciate that. Uh, my pleasure. Hopefully um, somebody has got something out of this little um, ramble for me. I'm sure they have. Now, before I close off, where can people go and get their forever bottles? Yeah. So if you head to zeroco.com.au, you can get all of our products there and little special offer for anyone listening. If you, type in $20 off, so dollar sign 20 off in capital letters at checkout, you'll get 20 bucks off your first single-use plastic-free order from Zero Code. That is sensational. Thanks a lot for that, Mike. Congratulations on the amazing journey to date, and thank you for joining me today. Yeah, cheers. Thanks so much.